Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every second and fourth week of the month, we interview thought leaders, experts, or top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. Today's guest is someone very special to me. We met two years ago in California in one of his sales training. And for the quick story, uh, I attended his training and after three hours in the training, I realized that what he was doing was actually my dream job. So uh, it was quite unfortunate because at the time I just had been hired uh, for a new position like two months you know, before the training. And here I am actually now interviewing Skip Miller, president of M3 Learning. Skip, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. And and for the record, maybe three hours into it, you recognize what you were doing, but two hours into it, you were definitely at the top of your class. So you definitely, you got a lot going for you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Skip. Yeah. I mean, your content was so engaging and I was like, yeah, I was really into it. So it was really cool. So yeah, Skip, thank you so much for, for coming to the, the show. So can you maybe tell me, uh, tell me a bit more about you and, uh, and why you started Enter Learning? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I started right out of school as a salesperson, you know, did very, very well. Number one in the country. The next year I finished probably second to last in the country. Thank you very much. Because um, I thought I was really good. I thought I knew what was going on. And then you know, I, I really started to become more of a student of the game. I started reading and watching videos and stuff. And the next year I did very well. Then transferred out to California, became a manager, manager, managers, VP, ran a couple companies. And then the last company I was at uh, wanted me to move back to the East Coast, and I kind of like California, so I said maybe I want to try my own thing. And I've been doing that for over 20 years, and especially because I'm in Silicon Valley, we see a lot of trends. I mean, 80% of our customers are technology customers, mm-hmm. and most right now are in the SaaS world. So it, we we typically try to go after companies that are either you know at the million, 10 million, trying to be 100 million. Mm-hmm. Um, we typically see companies at the 20, 30 million who are still acting like 10 million, trying to get to 100. They're not making those changes needed. Uh, that's typically where we're at. But you know, we've also done work with companies when they were young, um, like like Zoom and Tableau and WebEx and stuff, and, and watch them to become home runs, which is great. But we really like working with companies at that, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 million dollar, where they know they got to do something different keep doing what they're doing, but do something different to get to that hundred million plus. So that's kind of our strength and kind of what we're doing and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Okay, sweet. And so, um, so can you actually, so I, I got into one of your training, but I'd be interested to know about your general like sales training approach. And uh, um, I'm like, I'm really looking forward, you know, people to actually learn more about that. But you, can you tell me about like, yeah, how you see sales? Sure, a couple things. Um, one, we're, we're managers first. So my first book was Proactive Sales Management. Mm-hmm. I type in best sales management books that's usually on the list um, because if managers don't take the learning and adopt it to their culture, to their coaching, 
salespeople will forget it. It'll be the, the latest shiny thing. And, you know, three months later, everybody's going back doing what they're all doing. So yeah. managers first is probably one of our, our biggest mottos. Second, I'm very big at the point of attack. So, you know, strategy is important and, and go to market's important. Or we've got good stuff there. But mm -hmm. at the point of attack, how does a salesperson start a call? How do they end a call? How do they know they've had a good call? How do they know transfer of ownership has happened? How do they know they can get to the more senior executives rather than just working with the user buyers, which we call, as you know, above and below the line. So yeah. uh, we're very tactical in our approach and, th and that kind of helps because then managers can coach to the tactics as, a co as opposed to coach to the overall strategy. Yeah. And salesperson at the point of attack can practice something and then execute those, those tools that we call so that's kind of our approach. Managers first and very tactical. So that's that's kind of what we've been doing and and it, it's been somewhat effective. Okay, okay, yeah. You, you mentioned like above the line and, and below the line, so ATL slash BTL. Can you maybe tell me more about that and what's the difference uh, between these, these two personas? Sure, um, as you all know, right, I am on a mission to destroy the term decision maker because uh, I think there's two. I think there's one below the line, that's the user buyer. You know, what color does it come in? How fast does it go? What size is it? What does it interface to? All, all those questions to make them successful because they're the ones going to be using it. The above the line buyer is I've got some business initiatives and I've got some problems with it. And if what I'm going to make an investment in can make a dent in some of my initiatives so that I've got my problem solved, that, that's going to be helpful. So I think what a lot of your listeners are going with is they're going to the user buyer because that's their champion. They mm -hmm. want to talk about them. You want to talk about you and everybody wants to talk about you, um, which is great, but that's not where energy in the deal lies. Energy lies with those fiscal buyers above the line where they're saying, you know what? I, I can appreciate you wanting to take 60 days to evaluate vendors and make a decision, but I can't wait a quarter. I I'm losing a million dollars a month here. I, you know, I'm losing 2 million euros a, a, a week here. Make a decision in a week. So you, you've got to always, as early as possible, find both value flags above and below the line, yeah. rather than just stay below the line. You know, they, they're talking to us. They love us. They want a proposal. And then the thing goes ghost. It goes dark. It goes quiet. You know, we have names for it as they lose energy because we didn't do our job earlier. So that's the whole theory behind selling a bubble along the line. Okay, I see. And uh, yeah, I, I think I, I totally share that, you know, it's something I, I teach like and pray so much, like uh, stop talking about your product. Uh, and I meet so many founders, they are so proud of what they did. And they, especially in Berlin, people have this kind of, of tendency to be extremely proud of, of their product and talk about all the features and how amazing it is. And it's, as you said, it's often very comforting to talk about your product, like do your, pull, pull out your like uh, uh, 50 slide deck, you know, and say, hey, I've got this feature, this feature. And it's crazy because like in 95% of the cases, when I go into a, a kind of a, a first call with a customer a prospect, they always start like, I always ask this question is like, okay, tell me more about your product. And then they go like crazy for 30 minutes and, and it's, it's really, it's really interesting. So, um, oh, it yeah. is. And, and I, I have the same thing in Eric and Silicon Valley. I mean, it hasn't changed. I'll go to a coffee with some startup founder and I'll say, tell me about yourself. And out comes the slide deck and slide one is the logo slide. Slide two is the founder slide and who they are and why they're so smart. 
Slide three is the mission they're on. Slide four is the map slide. You know, and I just sit there going, you just talked 10 minutes about yourself. Why don't you talk about my favorite topic, me? And they go, well, we have us to establish credibility. And I go, well, you wouldn't have got this meeting without credibility. Why don't, why don't you just start talking about, you know, how are you going to solve my problem? Help me avoid some pains. Help me, you know, stop losing money. Help me. So why don't you talk about things that are interesting to me before you start talking about yourself? So as you well know, for years, we've told people stop talking about yourself and we get in these, these sales calls and you're right. The founders just want to talk about if I could take everything in my head and put it in your head, I mean, you see why you want to buy from me. So no one ever listens to us. So we finally have created this Montclair that says, don't talk about the dog, right? So no, no, in those first couple calls, no woofing, no barking, stop talking about the dog. And for some reasons that's been sticking. So, yeah. you know, one of our models, as you all know, is right up front, great salespeople ask better questions and give statements. So ask questions and stop barking and stop woofing. And it, it seems to stick. Yeah, exactly. And maybe can you, can you share, because like everyone who's been to one of your training knows about like, it's not about the dog. It's, it's kind of like, it's a motto you have. Can you maybe share the backstory about that? And, and, and you know, why, why, you, why you, you kind of uh, talk about the dog basically about this? Well, the, the whole thing is like, you know, we'd sit there in these classes and tell people, you know, don't talk about yourself early. And I just got to frame it up. I just got to, you know, just frame up who we are, what we're about so that they, they get the picture. And the research from the buyer standpoint says the buyer is coming to the meeting to want to talk about themselves. And when you sit there and start just framing things up, the buyer shuts down immediately. And then the conversation starts drifting. So, you know, I finally got this idea when my wife wanted to buy this dog and and it wasn't about the dog. It was about, you know, how I was going to buy it and stuff. So that whole story about the dog is actually a true one about our dog here, um, which is kind of fun. But for some reason, everybody in, who's taken our classes knows in those first couple stages, you know, look at your script, look at your email, stop talking about yourself. People go, aha, uh -huh, but they don't do it. So when we start saying, don't talk about the dog, people go, oh yeah, I'm wolfing here, I'm barking. So it, it's, yeah. a, it's a good mock. It's fine. It's a true story. It's all about the, the dog my wife and I bought. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, like what's fun actually when Skip goes to a company and, and then you, you just come like a few, a few weeks after, you hear managers be saying like, woof, like they, because, you know, when you do uh, like forecasting calls, people are like, yeah, you know, they start talking about, about so many different things and the managers are like, woof, you're barking right now. It so is, it's, and, but, but it's fun. I mean, your audience, right? Be it, be it managers or, or founders of startups or companies who want to start growing. Um, we see a lot here in Silicon Valley. And if I had to pick, um, boy, the, the three biggest mistakes that they make early, one is definitely creating their pitch deck all about themselves, as mm -hmm. opposed to having the customer, you know, no customer wants to talk to me. I'm just a salesperson. That's not true. The above the line customers have a problem. And if you just sit back and say, hi, as you look at the next six months, what are some of your issues and challenges? They'll talk to you. It's amazing. You don't need to set the stage up. I mean, if you do less than a minute, you know, 30 seconds speech or elevator pitch or whatever. But the biggest mistake we see, and I talked to a bunch of CEOs about this. Mm -hmm. And I said, when you talk to salespeople or business owners trying to sell you something, What's the biggest mistake they make? And the obvious answer is that they're a solution looking for a problem, yeah. which means you're asking questions that are going to guide me to you. You're not even being neutral here. So some of the best 
companies we've seen on rocket ship growth have really taken their marketing pitch, sales pitch, to raise business issues that are happening. As you look at 2020, you know, the market's growing like this and you're probably not. The market's got these opportunities, you're probably not. I mean, you know, show me what my problems or the industry problems are that I can correct is probably a better approach. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes we see that companies still want to pitch them and bark and woof rather than get me involved and interested. And when they start barking and woofing, they're usually talking to below the line buyers who love barking and woofing and you think mm -hmm. you're doing great. And yeah. I, I'm glad you're capturing that low hanging fruit, but if you want decisions and quick decisions and, and people to spend money on you, you gotta go above the line and you can't woof and you can't bark. So that that whole thing up front is, is the, the great companies have two decks, one for the, the below the line buyer, one for the above the line buyer, and they execute those both early in the process yeah. rather than just pitch to the below line buyer and hope the below line buyer can bring you in. So that's one of the biggest mistakes we see in companies that, that, that you know, are trying to really get their product to market. Okay. And what, 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 actually, what do you think of having no deck at all? Because that's something I, exper I experimented actually. And for me, I remember when I was selling software, uh, now that I'm selling more consulting and coaching, I actually have no deck. And I always like, I always like, I'm super, it's kind of a play. I say, people say, Hey, can you send me slides? I'm like, no, first, I don't have slides. Second, they always end up in my, in your spam folder or into your like uh, trash can. So what do you think of actually not going with the deck, just with like a whiteboard marker and just, you know, building a solution with your, your, your customer? Yeah. The last time I used the sales deck was like 2016 to wildfire. So that was three, four, five years ago. Um, people are visual learners. So having something visual out there, be it a couple of slides or something that kind of shows you up is probably okay. Mm -hmm. But a PowerPoint presentation for the most part is one way communication. I'm going to tell, I'm going to show. And that doesn't really, people don't like when the lights are dimmed and the projector turns up, people aren't gonna speak. So encourage them with a whiteboarding conversation or some sort of discussion, but most discussions have got to have direction. Yeah. So if you are going to whiteboard, you know, this probably brings up a, another good point. All great sales calls start with the end in mind. So before you pick up the phone or before you start the meeting, instead of saying, here's what we're going to present, here's what we're going to discuss, great salespeople should be going, if the meeting goes well, what's our next step? And, and what's our next next? Because the goal is to be intentional and directional, mm -hmm. not just throw everything out there and hope something sticks is what we see. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm not a big fan of PowerPoints because that's just a, if I get everything in my head, I'll put it in your head. I am much more involved in two-way communication vehicles, be it like Zoom meetings like this or Hangouts or, or also, you know, whiteboardings. Mm -hmm. But you got to, before you pick up the phone or meet with the customer, you should have a really good discussion on... If this call goes well, what's our next step? And what's a good next next? Rather than at the end of the meeting going, so what'd you think? And the buyer goes, this is great. And you go, great. What do you want us to do next? And then there goes control of the whole call. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I remember. Uh, that, that's actually um, pretty hard to, to put in, you know, to put in practice, I found, because it's a, it's a radical sh shift. You know, you go to someone who doesn't know you and say, hey, let's agree on next next. 
but I, I've tried it and I can tell you like, I'm super happy you're saying it again so I can, you know, redo it again. And I, I remember it's like super powerful. So I think it's a, it's a really good routine well, to do. I, and, uh, I, I fall a victim of it. You know, I'll get a call and, and they'll say, Skip, you know, the VP of sales or president wants to talk to you. And I'm like, great, you know, uh, I'll probably say this. And then I go, stop, stop. <laughs> What's the purpose of the call? Because if that's the purpose, I probably should talk about this too. I mean, it, mm -hmm. when you think from the customer standpoint, and think how you want the call to end, not start, it, it, it changes quite a bit. So you're right, it is kind of radical thinking, but the calls go better. They have direction yeah. and they have intention. Yeah, exactly. And also I'm like, um, I actually I have a question for you on, on the uh, early qualification. So I'm a huge fan of like kicking everything out of your pipeline when it's not like super qualified. Um, and what do you think? Do you, do you like? Do you prefer like a super early qualification uh, in and running, having the risk of actually losing a good opportunity, or just having like a, a pipeline full of different opportunities and having some that that actually stalling? No. After a proactive selling session with us, typically 30, 40 percent of the pipeline goes away, which is totally wasted effort. I mean, mm -hmm. just having it there to have it and. One day they'll realize and pick it up. You know, we just went to a company the other day. We looked at their sales funnel and three of their top 20 deals have been in the funnel over 400 days. <laughs> the, the guy's dead. I mean, what are we doing here? So I'm a huge fan, as you well know, of something called homework assignments. So if I get somebody on the phone right away, I'll say something like, before we go any farther, let me talk to two or three of your top sales managers, really find out what's going on the street. I'll come back to you, tell you what I've heard, what we do. And at that point, we can kind of figure out what we should do here. As soon as that email from the president or the VP of sales comes out, yeah, please talk to Skip. I know I have a qualified deal because they're putting some sweat equity into it. Mm -hmm. I'll ask a VP, you know, what's your next quarter slide deck? you're gonna be giving to the executive team. And can I get a copy of it? You'd be shocked at how much above the line buyers will send you that stuff. The below the line buyers, no, we can't. You don't have an NDA. I, well, they don't have the slide deck. The VP who's putting it together has no problem sharing them. So whatever homework assignments done early will qualify. And if they don't want, you know, my favorite, hi, we have a demo scheduled for tomorrow at 10. Mm -hmm. Could you please give me one or two lines on what your expectations are so I can make sure we really map to what you want? If the customer doesn't respond with one or two one or two sentences, which takes maybe 30 seconds of their time, why would you do the demo? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's you've got to have some sort of mutual sweat equity. Without mm -hmm. it, I don't think you got a qualified deal. So disqualification, think about it. 30% of a company's efforts in the sales organization, which is typically 20, 30, 40, 50% of their, of their costs are going towards things that aren't going to qualify because they lie to themselves saying, Hey, it's better than nothing. And the answer is no, nothing's better. Yeah, exactly. And actually yeah, too, I wrote down that because it's um, like giving like homework assignment is, is insanely powerful. I actually asked it for like for a workshop I have kind of a preparation workshop and the deal is not closed, but I know they're pretty engaged. And I asked them, okay, send me some recordings, send me your slides, send me what you wanna, you know, what you wanna talk about. And I'm also a huge fan of like killing pipeline, actually, when you go into a new organization and you, you get the reps in the room or, you know, each individual rep, and then you just like, you kill the pipeline. I think it's a, it's a very, 
it's actually cool to do. It's not cool for the rep, but it's often better for the organization. Well, the whole idea of, of losing, right? You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, sense of loss. You know, you know if I've got a 20% chance, at least it's beating, and I can do really good stuff to get it to where it'll close. I mean, we hate losing. So, mm -hmm. you know, we hate even in a bad situation to get rid of a bad situation because well, we at least got it. So you're right. You know, put in some sort of markers where you get rid of your, your 10 to 20% of your pipeline every month. And you know what? If it's any good, they'll come back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for, exactly, for sure. And uh, I'm a big fan of closing losses. Sometimes now I, I got like, I make peace with it. And I remember for my first years in sales, it was always really hard. And often what you do is like, if you if you close loss, there's notification to the CEOs that, that goes and the CEO comes to you and is like, what, what, what happened with this deal? And so I think it's it's often pretty hard to, to stand, but I would say it's it's much better to have like a-, a Well, look what you just called it, closing loss. Who wants to lose? Yeah, no one. Yeah, nobody. So we got to change. That's a good idea. We probably have to change that because nobody wants to lose. It should be, you know, closing expired or, or yeah. closing that they're stupid. <laughs> yeah. Something. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think there's also a stat. I'm not, I'm not really like, I don't know the exact, but I think the more like, you know, you have more chances of closing a deal, uh, like a, an account, if a, a deal has been closed lost before, than if you had no deal. There's something like that. And that, that's something that, for me, I think that is, that is true. Because the, if they reinvent themselves or come back, they at least already know who you are and what mm -hmm. you do. So there's, a, there's, there's energy. So yeah. typically a closed loss that comes back, they've got a real need because they yeah. kind of have an understanding of what you do and, and the fire has been stoked again. So yeah. you're right. You know, if, if I was ever going to die and come back as a salesperson, that, that's exactly where I would farm would be closed loss deals. You know, yeah. hurt me. Exactly. And do you have strategies actually to, to nurture this kind of closed loss funnel? Do you have like a, I know it's not so much about sales and more marketing and engagement, but do you have any strategy for like nurturing these guys? Sure. And, and the classic example is you have to think like a customer. So a tool we have is called buyer's calendar. So in the first fiscal quarter of every year, most initiatives are launched. Well, 80% are good, 20% aren't. So go prospect on those 20% that aren't. Hi guys, Skip Miller from the ABC company. As you launch your 2020 initiatives, there's probably one or two that aren't going well, especially in the digital space or, or the, the mobile space or whatever it may be. If this is true, we should chat. Second quarter at the end of the year, at the mid-year, there's always mid-year corrections. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to stop doing this and we're going to really invest in this. Well, if they're going to invest in it. They got to spend their money quickly because they only have six months to get a return. So mm -hmm. the buyer's calendar is a tool in, in the book, but just think like a buyer instead of, you know, it's time for our sales push. Well, what if the buyer's not buying right now? <laughs> so no matter if you're in pharma or if you're in tech or if you're in, you know, re whatever it may be, Think when your buyer makes decisions rather than when you guys make decisions, it's probably a better idea to, to, to get those things across. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah, that's uh, make, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so I have a question actually, there's, there's something I really, uh, in your methodology, I really love uh, is it starts by quantified. So quantified problem, quantified cause and quantified solution. Can you tell me more about that? Well, the, the whole concept, is most salespeople are somewhat emotional. So it's like, this is a hot deal. This is a key problem. This is, this is a really big opportunity. Well, how big? I mean, what's the, what's the problem? So we came up with this idea of what we call the three Qs. Quantified solution 
is what you're selling. I mean, that's going to be on your proposal, your quote. Yeah. Quantified problem is the below the line number. You know, I, we, we've got to have 30% more speed. We've got to have 50% more occupancy. We've got to have 20, you know, whatever those numbers are. Above the line buyers always talk in numbers. Mm -hmm. So the concept is find the size of the problem. You know, if I was going to write another book, I'd probably title it, what's the size of the problem? Rather than, you know, they have a problem here. So what's, what's the size of the problem? I don't know. Well, if, do you think your above the line buyer knows? Because if the above the line buyer doesn't know the size of the problem. So for example, I, I was at a customer a couple of months ago mm -hmm. and I said, what's your, what's your potential revenue stream for the year? And they said, 50 million. I go, great. I go, what's the problem? How confident are you of that 50 million? And they said, about 60%. I go, wow. So you got a $50 million quota and you think you got 30 in the bank, you got a $20 million problem. And they go, without missing a beat, that's why we're talking to you. Now, are we going to make the 20 million? No. Can we potentially make a dent? I don't know. What's their problem? They're not ramping fast enough. Their sales cycles are too long. Their ACV is not high enough. I can, I can make dents in those. So by discovery, you find out what's causing the problems, but you always got to get a number, always. And when I go in QBRs with salespeople sometimes, and I'll ask them, give me your biggest deal. It's this company. What's the size of the order? Probably half a million you know, euro. Great. What's the size of the problem? That's a good question. So you're telling me, you know what you're going to sell them. You don't know the size of the problem. <laughs> and it really leads to a great conversation. Yeah. And, and I think on top of that, it allows, that's why I'm actually against pricing in websites when you're selling software or anything, because I think when you're able to, to kind of show the size of the problem, then you can, you can, you know, price accordingly, like according to the, the value you provide. So if you said you have a 1 million euro problem, uh, dollar problem, you solve like, um, you know, you solve hundred thousand, you can price at 10,000, for example. So I think you're exact. I just was working with a company the other day where their typical problem is, you know, a hundred, 200, 500, a million dollars a month. And they're charging, you know, a thousand dollars a month. I'm like, guys, the, the problem you're going after is much bigger than what you're charging. I'm just kind of letting let you know here. And, and they've got to, they've got to do a better job aligning that. You're exactly right. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's been something I, I learned from your training and it really changed my mind. And I'm, that's why I'm like, uh, you have companies like gong.io, for example, you go and they, so they have a tab called pricing, you go there and you can't have pricing, you have to talk to a rep. Uh, the same with G2, for example, they, they sell data set. And uh, I'm actually doing a, a podcast with that with someone who bought from G2. And uh, he's actually one of my customers. And he, he felt like he was like into the sales process was amazing, actually. And, and you know, we're going to actually uh, go and dive deeper in, in this sales process and what happened to him as a buyer. So then, you know, we can, uh, we, we can see how, you know, how it went for Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. And I think it's going to be pretty cool for the guys at G2 to feel how the buyer perceived their, their sales tactics. They had like good cop, bad cop tactics. And he, in the end, he ended, he ended up paying like a huge amount. And he was like, I was never like, I never thought I would be doing that. But they had this kind of really good methodology of asking what's the problem, what's the size. And yeah, obviously he got these values. So I think it's- uh, Well, it, it, it leads to probably one of the other biggest problems I see when company calls, calls us in to help is that all their managers and the owners 
are really focusing on stage four, stage five deals, mm -hmm. how to bring them over the line, rather than what I call stage one, stage two deals, where the buy splits. You know, you may get initial interest, you know, it's an inbound lead or, or whatever, but early on, you've got to find out quantified problem, what's the size of the problem, and quantified mm -hmm. cause, what's the size of the business initiative that needs to get fixed. Managers should be coaching to find out, yes, they need $30,000 worth of stuff from us. But additionally, the customers said this area is costing them 17 to $20 million a year. Now, we're not gonna, we're not gonna solve the 17, 20 million, but we're definitely gonna solve, they said, 20 to 30% of that. Without getting those numbers early, I don't know how quantified of a deal you got. So the, the quantified cause and quantified problem, quantified solution, we call the, you know, Q, Q, the three Qs, without really understanding the size of the problem from the above the line buyer, it really hurts your forecast accuracy, big time. Yeah, okay, exactly. Uh, good, and, and so, so I'd, be, I'd be curious maybe like uh, if you have, a, because you know, outreach using like, there's a lot of, 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 of work, like of noise around social selling. Uh, I'd be curious to know about your, let's say outbound tactics or anything you, you would like give us an advice for the audience. Yeah, as you all know, I just, uh, just the other week, sent in my, my, my first copy of a new book that I've written called Outbounding. And that should be done first quarter in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, it's got to go through copywriting and editing and stuff. But I did quite a bit of research. And what I find is typical salespeople, not marketing campaigns for outbounding, but typical salespeople will make two to three touches in a 20 to 30 day window, you know, send an email, make a phone call, wait a week or two, send another email, and then go, I'm done. They never responded, it, which is just so ridiculous. Yeah. The best companies we see have great, great cadences and sequencing where they're making, and now a touch. If I email you, call you, and leave a voicemail, that's three touches. The best customers that we see outbounding are making somewhere in the area between 10 to 15 touches every two weeks in a two-week cadence and great salespeople are running 25 cadences during those two weeks and this is not you know 50 bucks a month stuff right i mean this is pretty good stuff you mean thousand bucks a month twenty thousand a month so it's 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 solution oriented not just you know you know a thousand phone calls a day type yeah. of, of transactional stuff but and it, what we found is if I'm a salesperson selling 5,000 a month, MRR, whatever it may be, and I'm running 25 cadences every two weeks, I break that off and I bring in another two week cadence where I'm touching 25 executives, not companies, but 25 com you know, people. It takes about an hour a day. That's it. Yeah. I, I found this fascinating. So the best outbounding people we see are running great cadences, 10 to 15 touches in a two week window. They're running 25 to 35 cadences every two weeks. And they're, they're getting 30%, 35% response rate on those, mm -hmm. which will blow people away. Yeah. Which is, which is huge actually. Yeah. No, yeah. That's a, and you know, like, do you, do you, do you like suggest people to use also like LinkedIn for social selling or, or do you think it's a bit too crowded now? No, the data is really, really specific on that. 
the more communication methods you use, the better the response. Yeah. So if you're just going to use email, you get like a 10% response. If you use email and social, you get like 18. You use email, social, and phone, you get like 31. I mean, phone by far is still the best if you can get people on the phone, which I still, people still see a, an email or phone number on their cell phone that they don't know and they still pick up. So yeah. phone is still by far the best. But yeah, um, what's amazing is direct mail using the post office has a 90% open rate. But people get a letter, they don't know what to do with it, they open it. So even direct mail should be part of your cadence. Yeah, even fax. I heard fax is actually so unused now that when you receive a fax, you're like, what is that? And so there's, if you have a... <laughs> it, there's certain industries, retail and stuff. There's certain pharma that everybody's still got fax, fax numbers on their, on their business cards. Yeah. There's certain other industries where there's no faxes. But if you're in an industry where you're using faxes, people get a fax. They don't know what to do with it to take it to the person who was it addressed. It's hysterical. Those types of things should be part of your cadence. You're exactly right. Yeah. And there's also one, one little thing I've observed actually in the LinkedIn app uh, is you can leave like kind of voicemails in the LinkedIn app. And the thing, it looks like a, there's a blue line with like a play button. And this one is insane how it works well. So it's like you just like record a small message like you would do in WhatsApp. And then like people always listen to it. And I got like 80% answer, uh, answer rate from these kind of things. So it's, I think it's also a great tool to use because it's different take it up a level because we've got customers who are using 30 second to 45 second videos mm -hmm. and sending them through LinkedIn. And because they're going through LinkedIn, people assume it's not spam. It's not, you know, it's not malware. So if I send you an email that's got a link to it with a, with a video, people don't open it because they assume it could ruin their computer. Yeah, yeah. But we've got companies using LinkedIn sending, you know, sub one minute videos and people, the open rates huge because people, Trust it. So even you know the the auditory your messages as well as videos through LinkedIn are doing very well right now. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, I think we're we're ending the uh, like the end of our time slot. So for me, I have a, qu a question I would like to ask is like if there was one advice you could give to our audience, what would it be? Boy, you know, unfortunately, I'm a person of many many opinions. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> if I had to do it, the best advice is. Um, really prospect, focus on the above the line buyer. If you can really start talking to people who have the problem, the size of the problem, rather than talking to your user buyer who just wants to bark and woof and make you feel good because they want to talk about you, you want to talk about you. We, we consistently see companies with their pipeline 80, 90% below the line, you know, sales cycles taking too long. You know, ASPs, you know, average sales, you know, co average contract value is way too low because they're constantly dealing with the below the line buyer who's important, but at least 50% of your outbounding should be the above the line buyer. It's a different language. It's a different method set. And if your customers, managers, salespeople, and business owners really dedicate the time to focusing on not all that low hanging fruit, but going after the, the more senior executives in their prospect base, the, the results are, are enormous. So if there's one piece of advice, go, go get going above the line faster and quicker.
Yeah, exactly. Okay, thanks a lot. And so, Skip, if people want to hear more of you or get in touch, where can they can can they see you actually? Yeah, M3 Learning. Uh, it stands for Miller and his three kids, of course. Uh, M3Learning.com. Uh, great website. Tons of videos. If you want to accept my LinkedIn, send me a LinkedIn invite. I'll be happy to accept it. Uh, I've got tons of, of free videos out there. You know, two three minute videos on on topics like it's not about the dog. You know, making sure you start with the end in mind. Uh, one of my favorite is selling like a banana. So there's there's great little videos out there that can kind of help out. Happy to happy to have the people do that. They're all free. Okay, great. So free content on m3learning.com. I'll also add that into the episode um, brief so everyone uh, can go there. So thanks so much, Kip. It was super valuable. And uh, yeah, talk soon. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. And uh, you have a good holiday. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, you can go to b2bsalespodcast.com to subscribe to the newsletter. You will receive the episode in your mailbox every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. And don't forget to follow the episode on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And finally, if you know someone who could like that episode, feel free to share it.